So Liam, I listened to your podcast last week. Great listen, but did you slyly add in an advert? What do you mean? Well, you started to talk about DyingScene.com, like how it's a great place to find all things punk, like news, tour dates, album reviews, and all that good stuff. But it sounded like DyingScene.com was sponsoring the podcast. Nah. I mean, the good people at DyingScene.com just kind of wanted to help out a new podcast, and the spirit of the punk community, I thought I would uh, show them the same gratitude back. Uh, sounds like a sponsor to me. I don't think so. I mean, that would mean that Punks and Pubs is already sold out. Punks and Pub match? No? Anyone? Oi, oi, you punks, go at my pub! Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Punks in Pubs. My name is Liam Bird and we have something slightly different for you this week. Past episodes have been me talking to people who are actually in the punk scene and what I mean by that are musicians or people who work in the actual industry, so labels or promoters. Well, this episode will see me talk to a woman who happens to be a fan of the genre. Episode 5 is me having a Guinness with the MP for Bristol East, the Right Honourable, as they say in Parliament, Kerry McCarthy. Kerry has represented the good people of Bristol East as a Labour politician in Parliament since 2005, and she's very kindly given up some of her time to talk to me. This chat took place in November 2017 inside the bowels of Westminster, in one of eight bars. Yes, eight pubs inside Westminster, and I guarantee you it is the only place in London whereby you can still get two drinks for £5. Anyway, you will hear Kerry talk about her early days of discovering punk in her youth in Luton Town. We also debate if Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party, is a punk or not. We also talk about the continuing closures of venues up and down the UK, including the legendary music venue in Bristol, called Feckler. Kerry also touches on the need for cross-party support for a bill called the Agent of Change Bill to save our live music venues. I will talk more about the Agent of Change Bill and how you can support your local venues after our chat. I just quickly want to bring up something that I put out on the podcast social media about how you, the people, can get more involved in the podcast to try and make this more of a punk community. I invited you, if you're in a band, to send me your music to play out at the end of the podcast. I've been avalanched with music and I'm very grateful for all you guys who want to try and get involved. And that is going to happen at the end of this podcast. Forget about that now and enjoy my chat with Karen McCarthy, MP. This is Punks in Pubs. In this free country... When nothing is free The cost of living is a killing me Firstly, everybody working and serves in the dirt and the worst things We're tightening our purse strings All smiles on the surface We're tired and they've cursed us Wild luck a lion but confined to the circus Sisters and my brothers Those that stand above us plan to rock us Million sufferers in 33 boroughs Taxing us for labour and then claiming that they love us Rage, I feel the pain, I mean, I'm on wages, next and ladders But the aim of the game is to stay sane, get paid And again, and again, smuggle with my hopes and my dreams in a drain And my name ain't feel my rave, but I feel like I'm living in a groundhog day Money, 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 must the world okay But it's funny cos I don't know if I feel that way In this free country Where nothing is free 
We are in uh, Westminster in a bar. What's this bar called? It's called the Strangers Bar. The Strangers Bar. And I am with uh, Kerry McCarthy, MP for Bristol East. Is that correct? Yes. Bristol East. And the reason um, I reached out to Kerry is that Kerry has a very public uh, love of all things punk and uh, post punk. Post punk, yeah. Post punk, yeah. okay. How did punk find you or did you find punk? So I'm, I'm a little bit too young to be like the first wave of punk yeah um so you're probably talking about um about 1980 or so when i was uh i'd have been about 15 so and yeah i think the the politics was a large part of what drew me to it so i'd yeah kind of can't quite think what came first but i always say that i got my politics from reading the nme so my stepfather was very much your working class right wing quite racist (laughs) that sort of you know aspirational working class type politician so I didn't get it from the family at home yeah my mum kind of went along with that although she's a Labour supporter now I'm glad to say but um you know I became very much politicized by reading interviews with um you know people like Joe Strummer I guess Paul Weller reading crass sleeve notes I always say rather than listening to the the music and um yeah I just got in with a a group of friends that you know that became the most important thing in our lives was uh music and listening to John Peel every night and uh it was I said it was it was getting towards the the post-punk end of things so the bands like Joy Division it was Public Image Limited but we also went back and sort of discovered the the, the, uh, the first Clash album, yeah. the, the, obviously, uh, never mind the bollocks and things like that as well. So, can you remember going to your first show and how it felt? Because I, I mean, a, a punk show always has that energy, and seeing like a mosh pit for the first time is a bit intimidating. I mean, how was your first? Yeah, thought? so I was, again, yeah, I was a little bit too young for the classic punk bands. Although in later life, I saw. I saw The Clash when I was a student, so that would have been in the mid-1980s. I saw The Sex Pistols at this dreadful reunion gig at Crystal Palace that yeah. was just, like, so depressing because the, you know, it was clearly they were just doing it for the money and the audience was full of sort of ageing punks. And it was, yeah, there was just something that, you know, completely lacked the vitality you'd expect. But I suppose, you know, the... Um, I would say the, the first gig I ever went to was ELO at Wembley Arena, and I was 13, and they had a spaceship, and the lift, the, the, the lid lifted off, and there were all these lasers. It was like the most over-the-top show ever for, for 1978. And the next band I saw was UK Decay, who are a Luton goth punk band at Luton Carnival, so it was a bit of a, yeah. bit of a difference. And... Um, yeah, I mean, they were shambolic, it wasn't great, but at the same time, they were kind of like our band and a little clique of people that were, that were watching it. There was another Luton band called Numania New, as well, a uh, singer, Gaynor, um, who had these big white spiky, you know, well, big, big spikes on her head. And um, uh, so they were, the, they were the bands that we then started seeing locally. And um, I think that the, the bands that I then started going to see a little bit later or probably more at the you know would have been theater of hate bauhaus um sort of perhaps a bit more towards the goth end of things um yeah so So was the local music scene in luton was you more immersed into that than what was going on nationally was that no well i think you know certainly we were all like buying um the you know Clash, Stiff Little Fingers, um, 
Crass, um, Susie and the Banshees, all, all those sort of, you know, Peel albums I remember sort of sitting around friend's house when he came rushing home with Flowers of Romance, you know. Um, but it's just, you know, living in Luton and not having much money, you know, when you were uh, still at school or sixth former. So there weren't really... There was a place in the next town, Dunstable, Queensway Hall, that sometimes had bands yeah. on. I saw Tom Robinson band really early on at the California Ballroom in Dunstable. But there weren't really many gigs in Luton apart from the very, very local ones. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we did at a local level and then tried to get to London occasionally to see to, to see other bands, yeah. What drew you into that music, though? So what, what was it the style? Was it the fashion? I think it's, it was partly, you know, the, the sort of message, but also the, just the sort of, yeah, the sort of sense of passion about it as opposed to it being, you know, the sort of very bland, prog-rocky style of thing. You know, back then, I mean, there was some brilliant disco music in the 70s, but back then it was very uncool to like that sort of thing. And I used to, you know, when I was like 13 or 14 or so, I hung around with girls who were very much into sort of Radio Caroline and Prog Rock and Genesis and Yes and Black Sabbath and that and I didn't like any of it so it was you know it was then that I sort of you know I, I, you know, so I was hanging around with people where I wasn't, wasn't into the music didn't go to the gigs that they'd started going to even though they were still quite young yeah I, I think you know Dirk Wears White Socks by Adam and the Ants that was one of the absolute key ones that sort of shifted us as I got with another bunch yeah. of friends but I can't really sort of pinpoint exactly how it happened I think it was you know just buying the enemy and I used to religiously sort of rush into town to try and you know get yeah. hold of a copy and I think then I just sort of started was drawn to what people were saying in interviews and then started looking up the music because also you know you got to think back in those days you couldn't Google if, if you'd heard of a band like I was always reading about Velvet Underground yeah. and you know, short of actually going out and buying records that you'd never heard which we didn't really have the money to do you just had to wait for John Peel to play them and I remember when he, eventually he played Venus on, in first and I thought oh this is what Velvet Underground sound like but it's not like today when everything is absolutely accessible the moment you hear the name of a band you can go and check out what they, they're like you know you can just look them up on YouTube or yeah. Spotify or whatever um, so it was yeah, in some ways, what we listened to was quite a small, select group of music. You know, particularly because, again, being in Luton, it wasn't. Yeah, there were one or two record shops that might have had some indie records, but it wasn't like you were living next door to Rough Trade where you could go <laughs> in and you know check out all the new singles. Yeah, you know, yeah. so so John Peel was like, yeah, and taping John Peel and that that was an absolute lifeline. Shiny, shiny, shiny boots of that your father was kind of an old-fashioned kind of person and from what I understand you grew up in quite a big family yeah can you yeah. remember like what your dad thought of the punk movement as it was like at its peak in the 70s can, yeah. can you remember no he'd, he'd have thought that was pretty appalling yeah I think like yeah. did, he, did he ever watch the Bill Grundy interview and go like what is this yeah well like I mean so he wouldn't have been 
impressed by any of that. But I do remember, so in Luton, the, the sort of centre of the town was the Arndale Shopping Centre. And that's where people used to go and hang out. And there was a small bunch of Luton punks that actually looked like proper punks and had the the spikes and the bondage trousers and things. And so I think that was my sort of first experience of actually sort of being slightly intrigued by them and wondering who they were. And like I said, by the time I was like 15 or 16, I'd sort of discovered the music as well. But yes, certainly those punks in Luton, in the Arndale Centre, there would have been lots of people sort of tutting at them. And sort of, you know, they stood out a mile because it was like, like, you know, you're, you're probably talking about at the most 20 people yeah yeah but then as um by the time I was in the fourth or fifth year at school which would be like year 10 or 11 now I'd say we had there were about five lads in our school year and two of them were quite good at being punks and the other three were pretty (laughs) bad at being punks and the one who was best at being punk was this guy called Chris who ended up being my first boyfriend so I I kind of of nabbed the the first punk but you know he had the proper the sort of brothel creepers and uh, he you know the leather jacket and he tried to carve Sid he tried to do his own tattoo saying Sid (laughs) but the D didn't quite work so it looked like it said sick Um, still quite punk but he just you know some people just have the face for punk and he looked like a punk whereas Neil, who was rather chubby and had curly hair, um, didn't make a very good punk, you know. So. But people back, yeah, back then, it was, it was like if you had black jeans rather than blue jeans, that mm. was that was a signifier that you were punk. And then if you were lucky, you managed to get some DMs as well, you know. So. What does or what did punk mean to you? So, well, I think with the politics, you know, you, if you put this in... Um, Context. Although punk started towards the tail end of the 70s Labour government, by the time we discovered it, Margaret Thatcher was in power. And it was a really, it was was the best possible period for political music in that, you know, you had things like Ghost Town at number one. That's the sort of thing at the time of the riots, you know, that absolutely sums it up. Um, And, you know, I was never a massive fan of the jam, but, you know, clearly people like Paul Weller were being quite political. And... I think it was a, a mixture of... Yeah, there were people like... We used to listen to Linton Quasi Johnson quite a lot. So on the, the sort of reggae dub scene, um, and, you yeah, know, he, he was very political. Uh, stiff Little Fingers were very political. Yeah. So you, you had the political side of things and obviously the clash, but then, you know, the pist- pistols were sort of more at the end of the personal with political stuff and there was, you know, the anger in itself was a political statement and, um, you know, being against things is as much a political statement as calling for change to happen I suppose Um, so it was partly that it epitomised the sort of anger and the the feeling that the country was I suppose you know it's the alienation it's it's, it's, it's all that sort sort of thing and um, I read a really good piece uh, so Joy Division was like my favourite band and um, I read this really good piece recently about it was sort of comparing Joy Division and New Order. It's saying how Joy Division really conjured up that sort of industrial decline and the bleakness of um, where we were during the recession of the early 1980s. Yeah. And then New Order, because uh, th- th- they sort of became very much about the more like the cleaner technology, hedonistic side. And it, it, was, just, it was just a really good article in the way that it sort of shows how both bands absolutely reflected the period in which they were at their heyday and I think there just was something back then of feeling that you lived in um, just a very sort of grim dark environment and yeah with very little to be optimistic about 
and um and, and punk was the right soundtrack for that and yeah. uh you know once you got in further into the 80s and you had the whole sort of new romantic glossy yuppie you know all that side of things you know i suppose that reflected the time in a, a different sort of way but wasn't pretty relevant to people in luton you know there weren't <laughs> there weren't too many people <laughs> sort of in in their Armani suits in the middle of luton town center yeah. So one of the jobs that you've done before is you have been um, a, sh- a shadow uh, treasury minister, yeah. am I correct? Yeah. So with, with that mind frame, and, and obviously you spoke of, you, you've seen how uh, certain things that seem as British can be sold, can, is punk seen as like an image that can be sold as being quite British? Because when people think of yeah. punk, they think of either being... London punk or, well, British punk or American punk. Yeah, I suppose you had, I mean, like New York, um, the sort of New York scene, uh, Talking Heads were one of my favourite, you know, Fear yeah. of Music was one of my absolute favourite albums back then. And you've obviously got the, you know, well, the Ramones, but the earlier precursors like the New York Dolls and Iggy Pop and that. Um, but yeah, it, it did become a very... Um, Almost like uh, sort of well, you know, people always sum it up with um, John Lydon selling butter and being all known as a celebrity. It became like a sort of national treasure. Yeah. And but yeah, I think there was you know, leaving aside the American side of things, I think the British punk scene there was something quintessentially British about it. I mean, it was just things like people not singing in American accents, wasn't it? Mm. But also people not wanting to look sort of tanned and healthy and glossy <laughs> and you know that's a very British thing isn't it yeah. you know um, uh, although I suppose I mean John Lydon was Irish descent and uh, um, that but I think just the yeah the eccentricity or the lack of conformity that's something that is sort of seen as quite British as well isn't it yeah I think I think it's very much the for, for me the, the British punks are they, they own a stage like they'll walk out mm. kind of like a peacock and they're very much like this is my stage I'm doing this for you either mm. like it or you don't but yeah. if you don't like it I don't care and yeah. that's the way I kind of always perceived the first especially the first wave of punk yeah. was very much they're doing it for themselves and if anyone else is coming yeah. along for the ride fantastic yeah that's the way but it was also yeah that ethos of, of not having to be good at playing yeah. your things and and so it was quite communal in the sense yeah it was, it was weird because it was quite individualistic in in the way that you've just mm. said but also um very much about being in a gang yeah and i spoke um and you know not being elitist and not you know not having to um you know be a virtuoso to be able to take part and that's what you know a lot of the bands that sprung up from you know the all the Manchester bands that say that they were at the Free Trade Hall and saw the Sex Pistols, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, All 10,000 yeah, of them yeah, are exactly. that you know, small But that's what they were saying. It's the idea, you know, they were yeah. actually inspired by the fact that the band weren't very good. So I think that is. But, you know, I mean, there are um, Tory MPs that will really love their punk music. And I found that really odd when I got into Parliament because it was like, how on earth could you like the message and you sort of say was well, it just you like the sound was it you it can't be that you like the lyrics and they say no i liked the the energy in that and there was there was one tour amp who was more of a heavy metal fan but um i was on a panel with him once actually he was a massive heavy metal fan but he said to me oh you know to me punk was completely a conservative type music because it was all about the individual yeah and um everyone in the audience was just like what <laughs> sort of you can't claim them as, as yours but yeah he felt that because it was it wasn't about um the herd mentality it wasn't about um all being the same so he thought that was a tory thing and um yeah 
But I was going to ask actually because when I was researching about politicians and their musical taste, yeah. um, one I, one thing I did find out was supposedly Grant Chaps is the cousin of Mick Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grant Chaps. Who yeah, would have yeah. thought that? Yeah, and Mick Jones, I think, was quoted as saying, "I'm not sure who's most embarrassed about it, me or him." <laughs> so um, yeah, but you know, Boris Johnson was on Desert Island Discs and chose "Pressure Drop" by The Clash as yeah. one of his songs. Um, Ed Vasey was culture minister till recently. He says the Redskins were his favourite band, which was like headed up by ex Moore wrote for the enemy, who was a member of the SWP. Yeah. And, but uh, do you think they truly like it, or do you think they're saying it as a nice little soundbite to make them seem a little know. bit more I mean, likeable? I suppose the thing is, though, um, for young... I mean, they were, I would say, yeah, he's probably yeah, a bit younger than that, but, but for certain men that came of age at that time if you weren't into disco music then punk was you know fairly mainstream I mean it was in the yeah. charts it was on top of the pops so and it, and it was actually not obscure or inaccessible you know the clash were quite poppy you know, buzzcocks yeah. incredibly good at pop songs so I suppose it would be you know it was the music of their era in yeah. the same way that people growing up 10 years later would have been Stone Roses or Happy Mondays or whatever 100% uh, but it's, it's when they claim to sort of like the lyrics that it's a bit a bit odd yeah and I don't believe David Cameron about liking the Smiths I think that was totally constructed but <laughs> that's, that's like a different his, story it's like his football but, team yeah, changes yeah, whenever he exactly, wants to yeah, um, yeah. a bit of a political and uh, a cheeky question do you think Corbyn is a punk? No, he's a hippie. You think he's a hippie? He's a hippie, yeah. Just because I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> at the establishment, the way he dressed, doesn't really seem to care how he dressed, but he didn't used to. Now he's tired, yeah. smiled up a little bit. So I think we're on the musical side. I think he said in the past, God, what's he like? I think he quite likes classical, and I think he might quite like folk. So he's he's not really into the sort of 60s, 70s bands you might think. I had him mm. more down like... Jethro Tull really but he's very I don't think he's what's what is the difference um, between hippies and punks um, I suppose you know it's the pacifism yeah, isn't yeah. it and punk was very arty you know there was a lot of you know an art school sort of background quite a lot of them went to art school so there was a real strong aesthetic about it and you know, there was a real emphasis on the on the, the fashion and the design, and it was very sharp edged. And and I, I wouldn't call that I wouldn't call Jeremy sharp edged, <laughs> and I wouldn't call him like particularly yeah design conscious. Yeah. And yeah, so he's more you know hippies wanted to change the world, didn't they? And they wanted peace, and they railed against you know they they weren't entirely sort of just sitting around making peace signs. You know, they were angry and they marched and things like that. But punk was more nihilistic, more um, alienated, and yeah. So I don't think I don't think he's a punk. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so that's something I do want to touch on. You're an MP for Bristol, and I don't know. I don't think this is in your constituency, but um, Feckler, oh, yeah, uh, a yeah. venue that is being really possibly yeah. closing because of housing development. Yeah. How important is it, as a politician and also as a music fan, to try and save these kind of venues from closing down? Because they are the lifeblood of any musical genre growing. So, um, I mean, small venues are in they're incredibly important in nurturing new acts. But also, for some of us, I like the bands that only play small venues. I don't yeah. want to go to sort of see somebody at you know, the O2 with... A, yeah, and then they're not the sort of bands that particularly appeal to me. Um, 
But the, so what we've got at the moment is there's a lot of development going on in inner cities and um, that means that venues are under threat from noise complaints and the government relaxed planning permission rules so that if you wanted to turn an office block into flats, you didn't have to apply for planning permission anymore, by and large. Um, So that meant that instead of it all being dealt with during the planning process you get these flats springing up and then people just sort of start complaining whereas you know obviously if you're going to move into the center of a, a town next to venues you ought to sort of be take the place yeah, you find it and yeah. accept that this is yeah you're moving into somewhere that's got a bit of a buzz about it and there's gonna be a bit of a noise um Thekla we think will be okay because actually the new development is further away than the existing housing but the, the mayor of Bristol is very supportive. But there's, there's other venues. There's one called Surrey Vaults that's just closed down in Bristol after noise complaints. The fleece was under threat because the office block right next to it, which in place is only 30 metres from the stage, that's been converted into flats. Um, the first venue that contacted me was the Exchange in Bristol. So it's all these sort of small venues. Yeah. And um, one of my colleagues is bringing forward a bill on the 10th of January called the Agent of Change Law. I don't know quite whether it's going to be called that, but it's based on this principle that it's the people who are changing the neighbourhood have to be the ones that adapt, you know. So the ones that, the people that are different that are coming in as opposed to that. But you can obviously understand, you know, there's a huge amount of money to be made out of developing flats, whereas you've got this tiny little venue that is only just making ends meet anyway. It's a bit of an unequal battle, but... um, the Music Venue Trust uh, has been brilliant at campaigning on this. They were the ones that first sort of really picked it up and looked at the legal situation and been lobbying the government. And they've been going for a couple of years and they've got this huge network. They have an annual Music Venues Day with lots of small venues. Um, so, you know, I'm fairly optimistic that we can, well, at least start sort of pushing p- people in the right direction. But it's, uh, you used to, I mean, if you looked back, so when I first went to university in Liverpool, which is 1983 to 86, I used to go over to Manchester a lot. And those city centres were, you know, full of derelict buildings, wasteland. You know, people didn't live in the centre of Manchester. And over the years, as regenerations happened, it's inner city living has become a thing again in the way that it wasn't. So you're inevitably going to get that sort of conflict from, you know, the, the sort of grimier side, the, the smaller venues yeah, and the yeah, clubs yeah. and that are suddenly going to find they've got people living next door to them in their plush flats that are going to kick up a fuss. And, uh, yeah. And do you think there's enough support behind the bill? They, they can do yeah, what so they do? Basically, if a backbencher bill was brings forward a bill in this place it is very unlikely to get anywhere without government support yeah so we need the public mobilization so that as many mps as possible turn out to back it but then we need the government really to make parliamentary time for it and throw the weight behind it ed Vasey was the minister for this and was reasonably supportive um, but then unfortunately he got reshuffled out so we've got to start again with the new ministers but i think there's yeah there's, there's pressure being put on them. You've also got these developers that the last thing they want is to have to sort of rain back on a big big project because there's a little pub that has live music on. Um, Sorry, I'm so very, so I'm there's, quite, there's quite a powerful lobby the other way. But, yeah, I think, I think, I think yeah, we've just got to keep up the pressure, get as many music fans as possible to sign petitions and so on.
You went to the Pussy Riot ending oh, yeah, of the, yeah, the trial. Can you tell us a little bit like that, about that and how how was it that you ended up being there and and have you stayed in contact? Because I know they've come over and done an art project recently. Yeah, and yeah, like and I miss. I was meant to go to that and I, I missed it. So basically, with Pussy Riot, it was, it was one of those slightly random things, and um, I got an email from somebody who had. It turns out well, he was uh, involved in like film production in California. And I thought from his email that he was very close to the Pussy Riot defence team and all the people in the in Russia. And they said yeah. they would. He said he knew that I'd written about it. I think I'd blogged for Louder Than War, or whatever, or shown some interest in it. And he said they'd really like you to go out. And I just basically thought, yeah, wow, yeah, no, I'm going to do this. I did Russian at university, so I always had a long-standing interest in Russia. Um, and was just like, you know, I'd been very interested in, you know, the power of music to affect social change where other things didn't work. So I basically just jumped on a plane, got myself sorted, you know, paid for it myself and had to pay for this emergency visa and everything. And when I got there, it turns out the guy who he'd arranged to come and pick me, uh, the, the guy that in America had arranged for somebody to come and meet me at my hotel. And... He, didn't, he, he said to me, well, who is this person who put you in touch with me? I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about it. So it's just a bit random, but this guy, Dimitri, really looked after me and went along and watched the closing speeches of the trial. And I just, yeah, there's something really powerful about being in the courtroom and the, the three women were in this sort of cage that had been erected. And you could just sort of, you know, my Russian's not good enough to sort of follow what they were saying word for word. But the absolute sort of defiance and conviction with which they spoke was amazing. And I think it is a classic case of where, you know, there'd been so much opposition to Putin um, that had not cut through. But it was the fact that they did it in a sort of punk format with that yeah. energy behind it. And, you know, they're not a great band. It wasn't, you know, people were never going to sort of listen to the music just for the music. But it was the the image and the, the anger and just the, I suppose, you know, the, the controversy, the, the, the way in which they did these sort of situationist-type acts. Of, yeah. You know, it's a bit like the, the pistol sailing down the Thames and linking it to the, the Silver Jubilee. It was all that with the pistols as well, wasn't it? It wasn't just the music. And that's what Pussy Riot did when they did the performance in the, um, the church, which really upset people. And uh, if you read their speeches, the sort of closing speech of the trial, they're, they're, they're really, you know, absolutely excellent. Yeah. I'll... I'll find out yeah. some translation and I'll put it up on the, uh, yeah, the website yeah. um, so what punk song would you play to sum up politics right now because it seems to be oh, quite geez, a yeah. weird political time at the moment whereabouts <laughs> you're talking about like when yeah, you were yeah. talking about the bleakness of politics yeah. back in the 80s it seems to have come back around a little bit I feel yeah oh what would what would that is a really tricky question isn't I mean, it I, I I'm trying of, to think through all my the... favourite ones you know I mean I, yeah, in terms of the the, the the most sort of classic punk records I don't think you can beat the few opening bars of Anarchy in the UK for just like sheer 
thrill yeah and that you know things that the ones I listen to the most are things like White Man and Hammersmith Palais and I for some reason I like the second Clash album more than the first and I know you're not meant to it's meant to be everyone thinks it's a sellout you either get people that like London calling onwards yeah. who are a bit more rockist or you get people that are purists and like the first album but I really like give them enough rope um, White Riot for me is my favourite is that your favourite favourite yeah, Clash no, song I would ever be, you know Safe European Home and uh White Man is Happy I know that was yeah. from the earlier one, um, but Stay Free. That, I think that was because it was it was my era. So yeah. Stay Free reminded me of my little gang of friends at school. So you know, and I was too young just for the first album. But I think probably it would be something like Pill, you know, like Public Image or something like that, because that is really, yeah, kind of bleak end time stuff. <laughs> Funny, do you still class yourself as a punk? I was never, you know, my problem was I had, I didn't look like, I had a younger sister, three years younger, and she made a much better punk than me just because she looked like one. She had short hair and she just had the right face for it. So I would never, I was more like walking around in your overcoats and your, the sort of, yeah, the Joy Division end yeah. of things. But but certainly, yeah, the, the punk mentality informs the way that I do politics and the way I think about politics and that being sort of slightly, you know, the anti-authoritarian or, or willing to go outside the norm and to do things in a slightly different way um, and wanting to stir things up a bit, I think. You know, that, that very much informs how I do things. And it, so, sometimes that's kind of like misunderstood, you know, in that people... Uh, you know, I mean, so like, you know, I do a lot of, on the, the vegan stuff, and people always think that that's like a, a hippie or a middle class hipster type thing. Yeah. But that was totally like straight edge punk, and that mentality that was associated with that. So there's there's a lot of different ways, you know, the, all the anti racism stuff. Yeah. You know, that is, we were immersed in that in Rock Against Racism and the clash picking up on black culture and vice versa. That was all very much of what informed our. Our politics, and when I say ah, you know, there's quite a lot of my colleagues that, you know, they're men in suits now, but actually, again, that was their era. You know, there's one of my colleagues who was an obsessive Clash fan, travelled all around the country with them, did a fanzine and things, and you can tell when you talk to them which ones have got that sort of attitude. You know, yeah, partly a bit of a class-based thing as well. You know, have you ever stood up, a... asked a question, sat back down, and went, "That's quite fun." Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, d- I don't know. Yeah, because here you've all got the, all the formalities and you have to be terribly polite and say, will the honourable member agree with me, blah, blah, blah. But um, there was, um, Dazed and Confused did a, a feature about politicians with good musical taste a while ago. And 
they started with me and said she's punk as fuck. And, oh, that, really? and that became the sort of catchphrase in the office. And actually during the election <laughs> campaign, sometimes it's more when I sort of reply to certain emails or say things on social media. And one of my staff, you know, and usually when you're being trolled or whatever, and you just yeah. go back and sort of burn them a bit. And then one of my staff was like, punk as fuck, you boss, you know. So, so yeah. So everyone can expect some literature through their letterbox saying... Kerry McCarthy, punk as fuck, vote Labour. Did that work? <laughs> I don't know, it might do, but we'll see what happens. It was quite nice, I quite wanted a t-shirt I could wear in Parliament, but I might just set <laughs> for like a little badge. Too yeah, much. yeah, yeah. Um, but, well, thank you for your time, okay. it's well, very thanks, kind yeah. of you, um, and yeah, yeah, it was well, great. Good luck with it all. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. This is a public service announcement with guitar! Episode 5, done. Uh, my thanks to Karen McCarthy and her staff for taking the time to talk to me and also setting up the interview. As you heard in the chat with Kerry, we talked about the Agent of Change bill, needing you, the listener support, to get the bill into law. So how can you help? You can email or tweet your local MP and tell that person who works for you that you want to save new music by supporting local venues. And if they want your vote in the next election, they best support the Agent of Change bill. I mean, fuck, even Paul McCartney supported this bill, and he's working eight days a week. Gotta love those jokes. If you want more information on how you could do more to support this bill, go to the Music Venue Trust, a grassroots project that is trying to save and support your local music venues. Talking of support, I want to support our music genre in the only way that I know how. That's by giving your band airtime on this podcast, and that's what I'm going to do. If you are in a band and you want to play out the podcast, then please do get in contact, just like this band, Power Regression did. Power Regression are a punk band coming out of, gonna fuck this up, Odzen? in Denmark. Did I say that right? I doubt I did. And they have all my love now. They emailed me and sent me an MP3 and I love their music. If you like it as well, what you can do is you can check them out via Spotify and Facebook. I'll post more about them on the Punks in Pubs social media. You should all be following the podcast by now on Twitter and Instagram by using the handle at Punks in Pubs. And don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about the podcast because together we'll grow. As always, if you're going to a punk show, if someone falls down, you pick that fucker back up, okay? Anyway, I'm going to leave you with my new Danish friends, Power Aggression, and this track is called Lobotomy. Until next time, bye-bye. Still alive, what 
ask me to dance!